parking lot. I was going to just stick it out front and say, the church will use this hand sanitizer, good hand sanitizer. But my wife was with me. She said, don't you do that. That's Bath and Body Works hand sanitizer, and that stuff's expensive. That is precious stuff. Somebody dropped that, and they're going to want it back. This is a cucumber melon. Bath and Body Works hand sanitizer. Now, I see people. Now, now look, if you're having a reaction, it's not yours, so just take that back. Now, if it belongs to you, you get first dibs at it. Okay? So it'll be up on the podium. If it does not belong to you, then it'll be out at the church will use it, you know, when you come in. So whatever the case may be. But if that looks familiar and you want your cucumber melon, look at that. I got some right now. Oh, boy, it smells good. But if you uh, if you want that and it's yours, pick it up on your way out. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles today. We're going to begin in Proverbs chapter 19. Just to do a little bit of a review very quickly. Back, I believe it was about the 2nd of August, the Lord just really, I feel like, burned some things on my heart that I felt like were just a message for abundant life right now. Uh, now, that doesn't mean it doesn't apply. I know this will be on Facebook and YouTube and everything, so I don't, I doesn't, I don't mean that it doesn't apply to Christians everywhere. I believe it does because it's based in the Word of God. But I also want to make sure that everyone understands this is a specific word that God's given me also for this family of believers during this moment in time. I said as I started that I believe there are two reactions that in general the body of Christ has had as a result of all of the events that have taken place since early March going forward, both the COVID-19, the racial unrest, the political divide, the, the rioting, all the different things that have taken place in our nation. I believe that in general, and this doesn't mean every single Christian, but as a general rule, I believe that instead of the church doing what I believe God called us to do, and that was hitting our knees and interceding and seeking His face and walking in love and standing in faith, I believe that in general the body of Christ has had two other reactions which are not godly or biblical. One being fear and the other being anger. And neither one of those reactions are biblical reactions. They're not the reactions that I believe God wants us to have. So I shared with you some things that God laid out for me. Number one, we began by saying we need to know what biblical love looks like. And then we need to practice that. We looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 13 primarily where God gives the definition of what biblical love looks like. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and you read that definition, then you take your life and put it in there, and you ask yourself, am I loving people this way? If you aren't loving people this way, then you're not walking in biblical love. You say, well, nobody can love biblically. Yes, you can, because the Holy Spirit residing in you enables you to do the things that are supernatural that you naturally cannot do. So we need to know what biblical love looks like, and then we need to love one another that way. Jesus said the world will know that you're my disciples, not by the churches you build or the music you play or the messages you preach or the ministries you run or the gifts that you display. He said the world will know that you're my disciples by the way you love one another. We're real good as charismatics about gifts. We love gifts. We love to get that feel. I've often said that really the theme song of most churches that are charismatic in America ought to be the old rock song, Hooked on a Feeling, because I really think we are. We're looking for that next set of goosebumps. We're looking for that next... I'm going to say something that may sound rude, but it's the truth. Listen to me. Charismatics are bad about looking for the next fix. We treat the things of the Spirit of God almost like an addict would treat the next 
drugs. And actually, that is looked at as being a positive thing. I don't think it's positive at all. Because you see, what happens when we do that is we mess up and we don't realize that the majority of the Christian life are not lived in those high places. I'm not talking about that we're not elevated with Christ. I'm talking about the situations and the circumstance of your life are not usually like that. We read the Bible and we read about these great days of miracles and signs and wonders, and then we think that they saw those things all the time every single day of their life. Did they? Maybe. But you can't derive that from the Bible. We've got to understand that most likely from what we can tell, there was a time where there was a miracle and a sign and a wonder, and then they lived a day-to-day life. What'd they do? They worked, and they took care of their families, and they were in the marketplace, and they loved people, and they loved Jesus, and they had problems, and they dealt with life just like you do. And then there was a miracle, and that was fantastic, and that was recorded. What happened then? Then they went back to work, and they spent time with their families, and they loved their children, and they loved their co-workers, and they spent time in the marketplace, and they had good days, and they had bad days, and then there was a miracle. And we read about that, and we think, oh, that's glorious. We wish we could return to those days. But you see, the thing is, we miss often, this is what my pastor used to say, and I've always loved this quote, we miss the supernatural because we're looking for the spectacular. And if you're not listening right now, I want you to hear me because this is very important. When we're in this place, if we're not going to be listening to the Word of God, we probably are just wasting our time. If you're going to be on your phone or we're going to be doing anything else, unless you're looking at Scripture on your phone, ooh, pastor's getting real. Yes, I am. I believe this is a word from the Lord. We say, Christians, I want a word from the Lord. I want a word from the Lord. Boom, here it is. I'm giving you one. Listen. You're being kind of arrogant. No, I'm not. You see, if the Holy Spirit called me to pastor this church, which I believe he did, when he puts a word in my heart, then he gives me this word for this church, and I preface this message by saying, this is a word for Abundant Life Worship Center. If you are a part of Abundant Life Worship Center, this is a word that the Holy Spirit has given me as your pastor for you. If you're going to listen to anybody, and it's okay to listen to other people, you sure better be listening right now. Now, if that offends you, I'm sorry. But I've got to tell you the truth, folks. We've got too many people out there tickling people's ears, telling them what they want to hear. I'm going to tell you the truth, and you don't have to like me for it. Because I don't get my approval from you. One day I will stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's the one I give an account to, not you. So I'm not looking for you to get the feels this morning. We don't need any more of that stuff. We need to learn how to live for God when we feel nothing. We need to learn how to live for God when we're hearing nothing. We need to learn how to live for God when we have no goosebumps. We need to learn how to live for God because Jesus is worth living for if he never does another thing for us for the rest of our lives. And until we come to the point where we can say, if you never answer another prayer, if you never do anything for me, Jesus, I love you, and I will live for you every day because you are worth it, then we don't even know what we're living for. So it's important that we walk in love and that we love one another. Second thing, and this kind of goes with what I'm saying, beware, beware. I cannot emphasize this enough. Beware of deception. Take everything you hear to the Word of God. The scripture we used before the Bible says, try, test every single spirit to see if it's of God. Here's the problem charismatic Christians particularly have. We generally think that that verse is written to a lost world, and he's trying to tell them to test the spirits because it's very easy for the lost to be deceived. Hey, guys, think for a second. The lost are already deceived. 
he's talking to believers. The warnings that Jesus and the apostles spent so much time, by far, when he talks, if you believe this is the end times, perk up and hear me. By far, the biggest warning about the end times is not about earthquakes or even the Antichrist. It's not about computer chips or numbers. It's not about diseases or pandemics. Jesus, Peter, and Paul, and John spent more time warning the body of Christ about deception, false apostles, false teachers, and false prophets than he did any of those other things. Now, if I got up today and I told you we were going to preach about earthquakes and pandemics and the Antichrist and computer chips and all that stuff, everybody's ears would be up here. But according to Jesus and the apostles, if you are a believer, you need to be more concerned about deception than you do anything else. And the deception is not going to come because somebody jumps up in your face and says, Boo, I'm the Antichrist. Take my mark. The deception is going to come because somebody stands up on a stage somewhere and says, Thus saith the Lord. And you feel goosebumps running up and down your back. But what they're saying is not scriptural. Oh, it's touchy-feely. It gets the goosebumps running. Well, I wouldn't feel goosebumps if it wasn't God. Wrong. You feel goosebumps when you watch Hallmark movies. Come on. Some of you will cry over Hallmark movies. I cry over Star Wars, but, I mean, you, everybody's got their own thing, you know. I mean, when the Skywalker saga ended, I mean, you know, you just cry. You know, you understand. But everybody's got their own stuff. Don't tell me that every time I'm moved, it has to be God. If, you're, if every time you're moved emotionally, you think it's God, you're one of the most likely people to be deceived in this world. Emotions are good things. But following them is a big mistake. Well, what am I supposed to follow? The Word of God. The Word of God. Take it to the Scripture. 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 What does God's Word say? Well, I, I, I don't care. I mean, I just felt. I don't care what you felt. What does God's Word say? Take it to the Scripture. If you can't back up what you're doing by Scripture, don't do it and stop talking. Period, end of story. Beware of deception. Next, guard your hearts. Proverbs 4.23, it says, Guard your heart, for out of it spring the issues of life. Guard your heart. We talked about how in order to guard our heart, we have to guard our ears. We have to guard what we're hearing. Guard the conversations that we're involved in. We have to guard our eyes. Guard what we're watching, what we're reading, what we're taking in for our being. Guard your heart. Next thing we talked about was how we need to watch our words, which includes watching your posts. Those are your words. Well, they're not my words. I just shared a, something else. Well, they become your words the minute you share them on your page. So it's very important that we guard what we say and how we post. We need to make sure, number one, that what we're saying is true. Well, I know it's true because I got this in my email from somebody. <laughs> if you got it in your email from somebody, I'm going to lay a 75% chance that it is not true at all. But if it happens to be true, make sure you check it out before you post it, before you repeat it. Usually it takes about five seconds to check it out. Here's what we normally do. And I, I'm, I'm bad about this too. I have to be careful. It's human nature. I see something that's posted that agrees with the way I think. And I don't even check it. I just, boom, I agree with that. Big question. Is it true? Well, the people who think like that would never try to, they would never have a motive to say anything that's not true. Come on, guys. Everybody has a motive. Everybody.
says that both sides of the news are agenda-driven and they profit by every click that you click. And I'm not just talking about the one side that nobody likes if you're conservative. I'm talking about both sides of the news. I don't care if you're a CNN or Fox fan. It doesn't matter. They both generate income by your clicks and by your views. If you don't know that, I've just informed you of something today. You're taking something out of here today. So be aware of that and watch what you post and what you speak. You say, well, Brother Lynn, you don't have a right to tell me what. You're right. You can post whatever you want to. You can say whatever you want to. But you will understand something. Are you ready? Pull your toes in. This is tough. The Bible says you will give an account for every idle word you speak. Do you know, the Bible does actually say that. Jesus said that. You will give an account for every idle word that comes out of your mouth. Or those on your Facebook page. So it's very important that we understand that. Watch your words. Faith and presumption are two different things. Presumption is an idea or belief that we take to be true, but it's not proven to be true. And we act upon it as, as if it's certain when it isn't. However, faith, biblical faith, is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen because it's placed in the person of Jesus Christ alone and it's placed upon the words of Almighty God that never change. So no, there's a big difference between faith and presumption. We talked about how vengeance belongs to God alone. That means we have to learn to forgive and to forgive quickly. We can't hold unforgiveness, bitterness, or resentment in our heart. We talked about how important it is to pursue character over charisma. Now, it is true, and you do occasionally. It's a wonderful thing when you can find charisma and character combined in a minister or ministry. And you can do that. Sometimes you've got a minister that has great character and great charisma. And if you can find those two, that's great. But if you have to choose one over the other because they don't have one or the other, take character over charisma every single time. Choose character over charisma. And some charismatics are deceived in that too because we think that if somebody flows in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, they have to be godly. That is not even close to being true. And I can prove it to you from the very words of Jesus. I know I keep quoting this, but we need to get this, guys. Jesus said on that last day there will be many people say to him, Lord, Lord. Notice what they call him. Lord. There's the right wording, right? Wording's right. He said, did we not cast out devils in your name? Did we not prophesy in your name? Jesus never says they didn't. But he does say this. He says, depart from me because I... Now notice this. He doesn't just say, I didn't know you. He doesn't say there was a time that I knew you. When you were flowing in those gifts, oh, you were mine and I knew you then, but then you got out of the way and you got... No, no, no. That is not what... That's what most of us think Jesus said. We're reading into the scripture what's not there. Jesus said something opposite. He said, depart from me. I never, ever, ever at any time knew you. Do you know what the ramifications of that are? There are people prophesying who have never had a relationship with Jesus. There are people casting out devils who have never had a relationship with Jesus. There are people healing sick, woo, healing the sick who have never had a relationship. Oh, they can't do that. Yes, they can. As a matter of fact, in the last days, it's going to be all over the place because the Word says that in the last days, people will be deceived because of lying, signs, and wonders. And I'm going to say this one more time, and then we're going to move forward. I specifically feel led to say this to a group of people who
who would consider ourselves spirit-filled, Pentecostal, charismatic, whatever you want to call yourself, whatever I want to call my, I believe that too. But it's important that we understand that's written to believers. It's written to the church. Who, as a segment of the church, are the most likely to be misled by signs, wonders, and prophecies by false teachers and that are false in and of themselves? Is it the church that doesn't even believe that that exists anymore? No. They're going to dismiss that out of hand. Who's going to be deceived? We are, if you don't know what the Bible says. See, if you think because you feel goosebumps or because they said Jesus two or three times, or because everybody else around you claps and thinks it's wonderful that it has to be God, you are prime candidate number one to be deceived. You have to go to the Word of God. So choose character over charisma. Last week we talked about what the Bible says about anger. It's very interesting what the Bible says about anger. God's not fond of it <laughs> at all. He tells us there is a righteous anger that you can have, but the only anger that's allowed is to be anger over the, angry over the things God is angry about. And even when you're angry over those things, it can't become an obsession for you. You have to deal with it before the sun goes down each day, and then you have to walk in love. And even if somebody has wronged you, the Bible says what you do to your enemies is you bless them and you pray for them, even if they are actively despitefully using you. And he tells us that what we need to do is to forgive those who have hurt us in the same way that Christ has forgiven us. That means when they don't deserve it. Because you didn't deserve it, and neither did I when Christ forgave us. Now, today, I want to deal with the other, I believe it's actually a demonic spirit. I believe the anger is, and I believe fear is. That is building a stronghold in the land and even making inroads into the body of Jesus Christ. Today, we're going to talk about fear probably as far as we'll get because, again, I've got a lot of scriptures for you. You don't need to take my word for it. You can go to the Word of God and find out what the Word of God says. But, see, here's the reason I give you scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture. Because, you see, if you disagree with, with something I say, you've got to have a right in the world and say, well, that's just Brother Lynn's opinion. And that's fine. But if I give you scripture and you disagree with what God's Word says, then you're going to have to get on your knees and deal with that between you and God. So I want to give you a lot of scripture today, and I want to begin in Proverbs chapter 19 and look at verse 23 of Proverbs chapter 19. It says, The fear of the Lord leads to life, and he who has it will abide in satisfaction. He will not be visited with evil. There are two kinds of fear. There's a good fear that we're actually commanded to walk in. And there's a demonic fear which we're actually commanded not to have. The fear of the Lord is the right kind of fear. We are called to fear God, but we are called to not fear anything or anyone else at any time. But fear God. The Bible says the fear of the Lord leads to life, and he who has it will abide in satisfaction. Well, what is the fear of the Lord as opposed to fear as I normally think of it? The fear of God is not a dread it's not something that keeps you awake in night, at night, shaking, afraid to approach God. The fear of God is a holy sense of awe and reverence because of who He is and what He's done. The fear of God will cause you to come to a place, as the Apostle said often, I would rather fear God more than man. Otherwise, it would say, if all of the world goes this direction, God is so much bigger and greater and more holy than all of the world, and he's the only one who can save me. Therefore, I will choose to follow God. I'd rather...
rather be found in step with God than every other human being on the face of the planet Earth and every other Christian, if necessary, on the face of the planet Earth. I want to follow God's Word and what God says. That's the holy fear of God, and the Bible says that leads to life. Look over at Proverbs chapter 22. Proverbs chapter 22. And look with me at verse 4. It says, By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Now, all of us want life. All of us want riches and honor. All of us want to find good things in our life and not have evil things come upon us. Well, we've just read two verses where it says this is where that begins. It begins with the fear of God. It all starts with recognizing how glorious and holy and powerful and wonderful and majestic and totally unlike anybody or anything else our holy God is. And when we recognize how holy and wonderful He is, and we realize that God at any moment could have just wiped the whole planet of all of us. Have you ever failed? My hand's up because I know I have. Have you ever done anything that you knew brought dishonor on the name of God even since you've been born again? I have. Have you ever said something you wish you could go back and get, done something you wish you could go back and redo, had to go before? You know what? God could just say at any moment. He could look down on the planet right now and say, I'm done with this mess. He could shake it, you know, just wash his hands of the whole thing and say we're done. And in a split second, we could all be out of here. But this holy, awesome God that has the power to do all of that is patient and merciful and loving and kind. He didn't have to draw you into the kingdom, but he did. He didn't have to, by his spirit, bring you to a place where you recognized your need for a Savior, but he did. So the fear of God is a, is, is a godly kind of sense that says, God, you're awesome, majestic, glorious, powerful, and yet you love me. And I don't deserve it. And on my best day, I'll never get close to you. Leave that in my statement. But God, because of all you've done, I want to give all my life, all my days, every waking moment to you. That's the fear of God. Psalm 33. Look over with me at Psalm 33. And I want to look beginning in verse 18 of Psalm 33. As I said yesterday, if you're looking at this, or last Sunday, if you're looking at the screen, you'll get there before I do. I actually have to turn the pages, but we will get there. Psalm 33, beginning at verse 18. It says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who, what? Fear Him. On those who hope in His mercy. Why is His eye on them? To deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. You see, notice what God does not say. God does not say that you're never going to endure lack. Famine would be lack. Am I correct? So God doesn't say that you won't endure as his child lack or difficulty, but he says he'll keep you alive in it. Verse 20 goes on to say, Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our hearts shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us just as we hope in you. The eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, those who walk in a reverential sense of awe and worship and obedience to him because of who he is, not because of what he does. You see, I could get anybody in this room that as long as you show up every Sunday, God will touch you with a zap of electricity, get goosebumps running up and down your spine, send you out of here with miracle signs and wonders. You'll show up next week, guarantee it. I won't even have to try to get you here. You'll show up. 
And if God does that again and you feel that again, you'll be here the next week too. Matter of fact, you might even show up in the middle of the week if that happens. You know, and if that happens enough, you'll start bringing your friends with you and you'll start, whoo, boy. And, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But here's the thing. How many of you live long enough in your walk with Christ to realize that don't happen every day? But the Bible says that God's eye has no bounds. Good days, bad days, up days, down days. God's eye is always on those who fear Him. Why? Because He wants to deliver you. He's always there. He's looking for those who are standing in awe and reverence of who He is. Look at Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. Let's read in verse 28 of Matthew chapter 10. Jesus says, and this is a strong word. The words are in red, though. These are the very words of Jesus. He says, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. But rather, fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul. Don't fear anybody else. Don't fear man. Don't fear governments. Don't fear anyone else, but fear him who is the one who really is in control over all things. And let me just, we know the definition of who that is, but let me just remind you, that's not Satan. There's a lot of people who think, well, Satan's in control. No, he's not. He's the prince of the power of the air. He's at work in the children of disobedience. No question about that. But God's in control of that. Jesus is. It's not that one day. See, our theology gets a little mixed up sometimes trying to explain away things because we feel like we have to explain away for God. Guys, trying to explain away from God and, and defend God is a losing battle. God's big enough. He don't, you don't have to defend a lion. He can take care of himself. You don't have to defend God. He can take care of himself. God is in control all the time. He said, the heavens and the earth are mine, the seas and all that dwell therein, the cattle of a thousand hills. They belong to me. Jesus isn't going to one day be the King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus is currently, right now, today, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. He is that, whether you acknowledge that or not. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All things in heaven and earth, below the earth, everyone, even Satan's knee himself will bow to proclaim Jesus is Lord, the glory of God the Father. One day, by force, Every knee will bow. But that's not when Jesus becomes Lord. They're just finally recognizing and acknowledging by force who Jesus has been all along. As believers, we get to gladly acknowledge today and proclaim by choice, Jesus, you are Lord. You're Lord of my life. You're Lord of my family. You're Lord of this church. You're Lord of, of, of creation. Jesus is Lord. He's in control. Fear him. And finally, look at Philippians. Chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And by the way, this is just a small smattering of scriptures as it deals with the fear of the Lord. You can look up in your commentary or your concordance, you can look up many, many more. But these are just a few, just to kind of give you an idea of how much is there in scripture. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. The apostle says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Notice this phrase. And notice he's talking to Christians. This is a letter to Christians, okay? 
work out your own, not somebody else's. Boy, it would save us a lot of trouble in the church if we stopped trying to work out other people's salvation for us. You can't do that. But he does tell you to work out your own. Work out your own salvation. How? With fear. And notice this last verse. Fear. Otherwise, God, you're so awesome. You're so awesome that you will forgive me. You put this awesome, glorious spirit of God within me when I was born again. Now let me fall from that bed and by your spirit become everything that you've commanded and called me to be every day more like you from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That is a godly kind of fear, and all of us need that fear. As a matter of fact, let me just say this. I think the body of Christ in our generation needs far more of it than we do. Some of the things I hear from time to time said, purported to be in the name of the Lord, are things that if they would have been said 20 or 30 years ago, somebody would have been sat down for saying them because they're almost to the level of blasphemous. But now we've lost that reverence. By, and it's a good thing that we feel like we can approach God boldly. That's always been what we need to do. But we listen, there's a difference between approaching God boldly and approaching God haphazardly and nonchalantly. You don't ever need to forget when you're coming to God, you're coming to the Creator of all the universe. You better never forget when you're coming into the presence of Jesus what it costs you to get you there. Listen to what it cost him. It cost him his blood to get you into his presence. And if it cost him his blood to get me in his presence, I'm not going to come in here saying, Whoo, look at me, I am this and I am that. Oh, no, no, I'm going to come in his presence. Do you know what the apostles always, listen, it's not just Jesus. Read it in the Bible. When an angel showed up before one of the apostles, they'd fall down like a dead man. Every single time. If they were going to get up and say something after being in the presence of even an angel, they'd have to get up and say, oh, no, don't do that. I'm just your fellow servant. That's what they would say. Can you imagine what it would be like to stand in the very presence of Jesus himself, at least in this body? One day, we're well, we're going to do it one day. Yeah, but you're going to have a new body then. It'd be hard to survive the holiness of his presence. All these people who are always, God said this, God said that, God said this, God said that, God said, Jesus said, Jesus said, Jesus said, Jesus said, God said, God said, Jesus said, Jesus said, God talked to me this morning, God said that this morning, God said, I'm not trying to be facetious, I believe God still speaks. But by listening to what comes out of many of their mouths after they just said, God said to them, I doubt very seriously God was anywhere near what he said to them. Got a feeling they might have been hearing a different spirit other than the spirit of God because it doesn't sound anything like what the scripture says. And the other thing that amazes me is how many people come out of the presence of an almighty holy God feeling like they are all that in a bag of chips. Listen, when you come into the presence of an almighty holy God, you don't come out thinking about how good you are. You come out thinking about how good he is. We've lost that. And especially the American church. Fear of God is a good thing. The next thing I want to mention before we get to the negative fear, and I've got a lot of scriptures on that. I've got one scripture for you on this. It's in Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 3. There are more, but I want to just list this one. It talks about how a prudent or wise or understanding man sees danger and hides himself. So when I talk about a negative fear, I'm not talking about natural common sense and wisdom. You know, natural common sense tells me if there is a semi coming my way, don't jump in the front of it. That's not fear. That's common sense. I'm not going to do that. Well, you got a right to do that. Yeah, I've got.
got a right to do whatever I want to do, but I'm not planning on doing that tomorrow. If the eye on the oven is red, I learned when I was just a child the hard way. If the eye on the oven is red, or the stove, I should say, don't touch it. That's not a negative fear. That's common sense. Well, I got a right to touch. I can do whatever I want. You sure do. You go right ahead and touch that baby. Go for it. And then call me when you're at the emergency room, getting whatever you get to satisfy and take care of that. Because, see, that's not wisdom. That's not common sense. So when I'm talking about a negative fear, and some of you may not like what I'm about to say, but that's okay. We're going to have to get over this. I'm not talking about whether somebody wears a mask or not. Everybody who wears a mask is not living in fear, and you should never say that. And if you said that to anybody, you really should apologize. Because that's just not true. Are you saying we all need to wear a mask? No, I don't care whether you wear it or no. At least in here, because we can all distance six feet apart. But it doesn't mean that somebody's walking in fear. It may mean that they're walking in some common sense. They may be walking in some wisdom. You don't know whatever. Well, I know that person. They don't have any problems at all. No, you don't. Do you realize that not everybody puts everything that's going on in their life on Facebook? I know that that's really hard to believe, but everybody doesn't just go out and broadcast everything that's going on in their life or in their family or in their bodies or, or who they may be having to, to help or encourage. Maybe they're in their, you know, in a case where they may have a comorbidity. So the thing is, just because you don't feel like you need to wear a mask doesn't mean that it's fear when somebody else does. And we don't need to be saying that, and we don't need to be posting that. Now, you say, well, you can't tell me. You're right, I can't. you got a right to say and post whatever you want to say. But the Bible does say we have to walk in love. And if that doesn't look like love, you might want to think about that, because I didn't say that. Jesus did. And you got every right in the world to disagree with me. But if you're going to disagree with him, that might be a problem. So it's very important for us to remember that. Negative fear is not common sense. I mean, it's not negative. Common sense and wisdom is not a negative kind of fear. That's a kind of fear that, or a caution. I would use the word caution that everybody should walk in. But then there is an ungodly fear. And we are commanded not to walk in that. It's one thing to say, you know, I want to honor, you know, the, the government and, you know, as best I can. So wearing a mask, as long as you don't have a breathing difficulty, where they tell you to wear a mask is not a great big deal. I'll do it. One thing to do that. It's another thing to sit and literally be afraid every day of your life to move outside of your home or to step outside of a room, even with a mask, or, or to live in a constant fear that something horrible is going to happen to you or a family member. I know what that's like. There was a time when I was having to take some medicine years ago, way before COVID, for something that was going on, and the medicine had a side effect that it gave me anxiety never had that before in my life, that I would literally lay awake at night imagining everything that could possibly go wrong. What if? What if? What if? What if? One o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock. What if? I'd get up so I wouldn't wake Tammy up tossing and turning. I'd go in the office and I'd sit down and I'd pray and still my mind would be filled. What if? What if? What if? It was an unnatural ungodly fear, imagining things happening to me and my family that there was no need to imagine happening to me and my family. That's the kind of fear that God, He doesn't just request. He commands us 
bold as a lion. But the wicked, they flee when no one even pursues them. Otherwise, it's not the wisdom that we see in Proverbs 22, verse 3. Is there's danger out there. We see it, therefore we hide ourselves away and use common sense. No, that's not what he's talking about. There is no danger out there. There's nothing to be seen. Everything's fine, but I'm still terrified, and therefore I can't. It paralyzes you. It keeps you from doing what God's called you to do and being what God's called you to be. Now, I want to give you some scriptures on that. One is a very familiar one. I want you to look over at Psalm 23. One of the greatest reasons that we don't have to be afraid of anything, be it COVID-19, be it what's going on in our nation. I'm not saying that there aren't things that we need to be aware of, I'll tell you right now, I, I would personally, uh, I'm not planning on going into any large city and, and just strolling around just to see what's going on right now. I don't have any plans to do that. I believe wisdom would not do that if I have no reason to be there. I'll pray, but I'm not going to do that. But I'm not afraid to be in my home, and I'm not afraid to go about my business. I'm not afraid to do what God has called me to do. Why? Because Psalm 23, verse 4 is true. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Notice this phrase. I will fear no, no evil. Why? Because you're with me, your rod and your staff, your power and your authority. My great shepherd Jesus, they comfort me. Why am I not afraid? Because there's nothing out there that could hurt me. Oh, there are all kinds of things out there that could hurt all of us any day, way before COVID-19. Why am I not afraid? Because God's with me, even in the valley of the shadow of death. You see, I dealt with that a long time ago. I'm not looking to get on, you know, I've got things I want to see God do in my life, but I'm not afraid to go home. Because, see, death to me is going home. You understand that? Death to me is going home. It, it, I, I, don't, I don't want to look forward to, to the process because it's the last enemy. It is an enemy. But Jesus has even overcome that enemy, so I don't have to be afraid. He says, I'm not afraid. I won't be afraid because if I'm in the valley of the shadow of death, Jesus is not going to drop me off and leave me there. He's the great shepherd, and he's going to take me through the valley of the shadow of death. And because he's with me, even there, let me tell you something. Sickness, disease, fear, turmoil, this unrest, all that, none of that shakes Jesus. He's not afraid of any of those things. And because he's not afraid and he's with me everywhere I go, you and I don't have to be afraid. Look at Psalm 27, probably just a couple of pages over for you. And look at verse 1. It says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? The psalmist is saying in comparison to the power and the holiness and the might and the majesty of my God who is in covenant with me. Who is anyone else? And what can they? See, that's why the fear of God comes first. Because, you see, if you don't have a holy reverence and fear of God knowing how big he is, then you're going to be afraid of everything else. But if you have a holy reverence and a fear of God and know how big he is, there's no need to be afraid of anything else because there's nothing on this planet, never has been, never will be, that's bigger than God. Because the Lord is my light. I'm not looking to get my help or my guidance from anybody else. The Lord, the sovereign one, he's my light. He's my rescuer. Whom shall I fear? The Lord, he's where I get my strength. He's the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Look at Isaiah chapter 41. Isaiah chapter 41. 
great fear if I'm dealing with it, and is Psalm 91. And this has been, rightfully so, all over social media ever since this crisis started, and I'm glad that it has been. But I think it's important for us to recognize what it says, not just to share it real quick. And I think it's important that we read it and understand it. Psalm 91 says, He who dwells, lives, stays, abides, not just visits, by the way, not just shows up once a week for a few hours and then out. He who dwells, stays, abides, lives, makes their home in the secret place of the Most High. Notice God's the Most High. He's above all else. So if God is the Most High, that means He's bigger than COVID-19, doesn't it? If God is the Most High, that means He's bigger than civil unrest, doesn't it? If God is the Most High, that means He's bigger than racial hostility, doesn't it? If God is the Most High, that means He's bigger than political divides and confusion, doesn't it? If God is the Most High, that means He's bigger than debt and poverty and unemployment, doesn't it? If God is the Most High, that's bigger than He's bigger than any sickness, disease, infirmity, confusion, stress, anxiety that you might ever have. God is the Most High, so live, stay, abide in Him. And the person who does that shall live, stay, abide, make their home under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say, notice this gets in your mouth. It's something that you say. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if it's going to be in our mouth, it's got to first be in our heart. He says, I will say of the Lord, the sovereign one, the one who's in control and in charge, He is my refuge. He is my fortress. He is my God. He's not just your favorite preacher on Christian television's God. He's not just your favorite author's God. He is your God. And this awesome God is my God in Him, not in government, not in my job. In Him I will trust. Surely of a truth, He shall deliver me from the snare of the fowler, that's the trapper of birds, and from the perilous pestilence. He'll deliver me from whatever pestilence is out there. He shall cover me with His feathers, and under His wings I'll take refuge. His truth, there's His word again and His person, his truth shall be my shield and my buckler. That means in the olden days they had body shields, otherwise a shield they'd plant in the ground that they would get behind that would literally cover them completely. And then they had bucklers, which would be a smaller shield that you normally think of as a shield that they could reach out and do battle with. He says, your word, God, your truth, who you are, are both to me. It is my full body covering and it is my buckler, my shield and my buckler. The idea being, there's nothing that's going to get past Him if you dwell in His presence. You shall, and this is where I want you to really see verse 5, you shall not be afraid of the terror by night. Notice there is something going on in the darkness. He said, you don't have to be afraid of it. You also don't have to be afraid of the arrow that flies by day. You don't have to be afraid of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Now, who is he talking to? He's talking to the person who lives, stays, abides, makes their home in the presence of the King. Notice what he's saying. You don't have to be afraid of the things you can see, and you don't have to be afraid of the things you can't see. You don't have to be afraid of the known. You don't have to be afraid of the unknown. I mean, there are some things that we already see. We watch the news. We know they're going on, and they could bring, naturally speaking, fear into our heart because you don't have to be afraid of that. And then there are a lot of things that are unknown. What's coming next? What's going to happen next? You don't have to be afraid of that either. You don't have to be afraid of either one if you live.
live, say, abide, make your home the presence of the King. Look over at Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. If it helps you to know, I'm gearing down to land the plane. We're not landing, but we're slowing down. You, know, you can feel that, that difference. Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. And you actually, you could look up earlier in, in chapter 1. There's quite a few places where God says something along this line. But I want to look at verse 9. He says, Have I not commanded you? Notice that's a command. You read that? He didn't say, Have I not requested from you? Have I not suggested to you? That's not what he said. He said, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor dismayed. Why? For the Lord your God is with you. How long and where at? Wherever you go. Why are you not afraid, Lynn? Do you just not believe that everything that's going on is what they say it is? No, that's not why I'm not afraid. I really don't have, you know, if you want to know my views, I can always tell them to you privately. I don't feel like the pulpit is the place for that. But I will tell you this much. I'm kind of in the middle. About the time I think one thing is true, then something else comes up and is different over there. Well, then something else over there. And I think that's why many people are frustrated. It's like every day it's like, well, well whose facts am I supposed to believe? So I really don't really know. But that's not why I'm not afraid. The reason I'm not afraid is because, oh, Pastor Lynn, you're not afraid because you just think you're smart. No, I don't. I don't. How is your intelligence going to help you against a pandemic anyway? <laughs> I mean, come on. Well, you're not afraid because you've got this and that. No, 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 no. The reason I'm not afraid is, number one, because I've got a God who's bigger than anything I'm ever going to face. And number two, because he commanded me not to be afraid. And then his spirit and his word empower me to not be afraid when I feel afraid. In the Bible, it says, when I am afraid. Notice this, Christian. It doesn't say if. That means God assumes that there are going to be times you're going to be afraid. Okay? So don't come out here with this, oh, I never battle with fear. I never have fear. Liar. Yeah, you do. Well, I'm not afraid of this. Well, you might not be afraid of this. But you just let the right circumstance, the right situation get close to your house or your family. I guarantee you, you're going to battle with fear. It's not about you battling with fear. That, as a matter of fact, that's the key word. Are you battling it or are you giving in to it? In the Bible it says, when I am afraid, not if, when, I will trust in thee. When I am afraid, I will trust in thee. And Joshua, and by the way, this wasn't some easy time. Moses had just died. The one who had led Israel out of Egypt and seen all the miracles and the signs and wonders, and even when Moses, the whole generation, rebelled against him. Now Moses is dead, and God's given the commission of taking these Israelites that are he, God himself said about the Israelites. Now, just understand, God calls it the way it is. <laughs> Modern-day American church would have a real problem with the God that the Bible reveals. Because, see, Jesus was not opposed to looking at a Pharisee and saying, you hypocrite, you snake, you brood of vipers. How many of you would love it if I prefaced my message that way this morning? Well, Jesus did. And God said about Israel, they are a stiff-necked and rebellious people. At one moment, God said to Moses, just get out of the
the way, I'll wipe every one of them out and start over with you. He really did. That's what the Bible actually says. I'm not making this up. It's scripture. So now Joshua is given the task after Moses, the great man of God, who they've seen do all these signs and wonders and whose face glowed when he would go in the presence of God. He's gone. He just died. And now Joshua has the task of taking over who God himself said are stiff-necked and rebellious and threatened to get rid of the whole lot of them and who rebelled against Moses over and over again, actually took up stones to try to kill him on more than one occasion. And God says, Joshua, you're going to lead them into the promised land. Now don't be afraid. Matter of fact, I command you, be strong and courageous. Why? Because I am. Not because, Joshua, you're so strong and you're so smart. You're going to be better than Moses. It's unlikely he was going to be better than Moses. No, because the same, I was with Moses. That's why he did the miracles. And I'm with you. So don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. And that was God's command. Now let's look at Isaiah chapter 43. Let's look at verse 1 and 2. But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob. By the way, now there is a real thus saith the Lord. I've kind of just about decided myself that before I listen to somebody else give me a thus saith the Lord, I'm going to go through the Bible and read all the thus saith the Lords that I'm 100% sure are thus saith the Lords. Then I'm going to make sure I'm doing all of the thus saith the Lords that I'm 100% sure are thus saith the Lords. And I've got a feeling once I've done all the thus saith the Lords that are in the Bible that are 100% sure thus saith the Lords that I don't have to doubt, I probably won't need anybody else to come give me a thus saith the Lord. Y'all can take that and do whatever you want to with it. Okay. It says, but now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not. For I, why? I have redeemed you. I've called you by your name. You are mine. You belong to me. You belong to me. Let me tell you something. I know you all understand this. If you want to go across the street from my house and get into the field with a three-wheeler or whatever and just start mowing the stuff down, I will probably call the law just because I'm concerned about my neighbor who owns the field. But I'm not going to lose any personal sleep over that, and I'm not going to be mad at you because you know why? That doesn't belong to me. On the other hand, you come into my front yard, and you decide to do some of that same stuff, we're going to have a problem. You understand why? There's a difference in them. belongs to me. You can talk about other people's kids. And that might bother me a little bit. As a matter of fact, it should bother me. If you start talking about other people's kids, I should try to stop you because that's gossip, and you shouldn't be doing that. But at the end of the day, I'm just going to be honest. I'm a human being. I'm not perfect. I'm probably going to go on out to crack a barrel and eat lunch and won't think another thing about it. You start talking about one of my kids, we don't have a problem. Even What if I'm right? Even if you are right, I'll admit you're right, but I'm going to challenge you on why you should be talking about them to somebody else and not talking to me. We're going to have a problem. Matter of fact, if you do that, I probably won't quit thinking about that all day long. Now, I'm not saying that's right. I mean, it's, it's human. It's wrong. I should probably go repent over it. By the end of the day, if I practice what I preach, I'll repent over it, and I'll forgive you. And when I wake up tomorrow, I'll probably be thinking about what you said again. I have to go through the whole process all over again, get mad at you, and then take it to God and repent and forgive you. But do you see the difference between when it's mine? Isn't it awesome that God calls you his? 
apple of God's eye. That means you're the, literally it means you're the pupil of his eye. I've said this before. You can stick your finger in somebody else's eye and I'll say, why'd you do that for? You come purposely stick your finger in my eye, it ain't going to go well. If you're bigger than me, you might be able to whip me, but we're going to find out. I don't want you sticking your finger in my eye. Guess what? You're the apple of God's eye. Somebody starts messing with you, it's like them going and sticking their finger on purpose in the eye of God. Let me tell you something. That's not going to bode well. And you see, God doesn't settle his accounts at 5 o'clock every Friday. And a lot of us think, well, because God, somebody got away with something, it seems like in a moment or in a week or in a month, because they didn't receive some type of instant, swift judgment that they got away with. Oh, no, 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 no. God's very merciful. And he will wait a long time for somebody to come to repentance. But if they won't repent, God's justice is swift and it is sure. That's why he says, you don't have to worry about it because vengeance is mine. I, notice he says this. He doesn't say, I might repay. If I feel like it, I'll repay. That's not what the Bible says. It says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So we don't have to be afraid. Notice this, verse 2. When, not if, I circled the word when. I don't like it. I wish it said if. But no matter how much I wish the Bible says something it doesn't say, it doesn't make it say it, so I better go by what the Bible actually says. It doesn't say if, it says when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. Here it is again. When, not if, when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. Do you know what that promises you, child of God? You're going to go through some high waters. Now, I know that's not the promise you want me to get to, and I will get to the other side of it. But particularly for us, Spirit-filled believers, word of faith, people, whatever you want to call it, we need to hear this part. You're going to walk through some high waters, and you're going to walk through some fire. Notice it's a promise. When? Well, fire and water, that causes me to be afraid. Sure does, in the natural it does. So why are you telling me I shouldn't be afraid? Because, you see, that's not the end of the book. He says, don't be afraid when you walk through high waters and when you walk through fire. Why? Because you won't drown, and the fire won't scorch you. Why? Because I, the Lord your God, I'm with you. I'm with you in the fire. And I'm with you in the flood. So you don't have to be afraid in the fire or the flood. Why? Because you belong to God. And He's with you. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 10. We were there just a moment ago. I want to pick up in the verse we left off in. Matthew chapter 10. And again, these are the words of Jesus. And we read verse 28, but let's look at verse 29. Jesus says, Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your Father's will? Notice this. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. It's not because Cody just walked across, but I do want to make clear, some of us it's easier to count the hairs on our head than others. I know Cody, Cody will laugh with me about that. I keep asking Debbie every time she cuts my hair. Somebody told me the other day, they hadn't seen me since COVID-19. They saw me for the first time. They looked at me and they said, my goodness, I haven't seen you in a long time. Your hair has got so white. I didn't know whether to say thank you or, or what, but I said this. I just keep asking Debbie every time she cuts my hair. I don't care how white it gets. She says it over and over. 
don't fear those things. Don't fear. Don't be afraid. Why? Because you are of no value just being you. Yet one sparrow, just one sparrow falls to the ground and your father knows it. He says, you're of no value in my sight. That's why in the name of Jesus it says, you don't have to be afraid. Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Look with me, if you would, at verse 32. Love this verse. Jesus says, Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The Bible says the kingdom of God is not meat or drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, If you see the, the power of God at work in your midst, you see the kingdom of God come upon you. Jesus says, don't be afraid. Notice he calls you a little flock. Little flock. Not just flock. Little flock. We're not only his sheep. Now the thing about the sheep, you're completely defenseless and powerless apart from the shepherd if you're the sheep. And that's who Jesus says we are. But he doesn't just call us sheep. He says we're little sheep. You're like the baby sheep. You're very precious in the eyes of God. That's why he doesn't call us little. Don't be afraid, little flock, for it's the Father's good pleasure. You're not having to twist God's arm to get him to do good things for you. It's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. You don't have to go there. We know it by heart, but you can note it if you want. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Notice that fear is called a spirit, number one. And notice God didn't give it to you. Now, I want to tell you something. The media will give you plenty of doses of it if you'll let it both sides. Boy, they'll fill you up with it. If you'll keep a constant diet of social media or the news, they'll give you as much fear as you'll take. All day long, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, they'll dish it out. It's ratings for them. They'll give you that. I'm not saying stick your head in the sand. I'm not saying don't know what's going on. But guys, come on. You know, Enough is enough. Once you know what's going on, you don't have to rehearse it and regurgitate it 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. So he said, God doesn't give us gives us power. He gives us love. He gives us a sound mind. So notice what he's saying. Catch this. If you're operating in the worldly sense of fear, and that's controlling your life, then you're not operating in power, are you? If you're operating in the worldly sense of fear, then you're not operating in love, are you? If you're operating under a spirit of fear, then you're not operating under a sound mind. So when you say this world has gone insane, you actually are playing a fool. Because this world is under the mighty of God. And when you're living in fear, you're not living in your sound mind. Otherwise, you begin to do things that you normally wouldn't do. You begin to say things that you normally wouldn't say. You begin to think in ways that you normally verse I want to share if we go over to 1 John chapter 4. Couldn't end this message on fear without bringing out this verse. 1 John chapter 4. In 
Apostle John, if anybody had a reason to understand fear in the natural, he did. Not only was he one of the disciples of Jesus that watched his master be crucified on a Roman cross and figured they would hunt him down too, which would not have been unusual. That's why the disciples were hiding in between the crucifixion and the resurrection because they were afraid that the very Roman authorities who had put Jesus to death would come and get them and crucify them in the same way. He knew what fear was. He knew what fear was to see his master, who he had put all his trust in, not only die, raise again, but then ten or so days later, after he raised again, be ascended into heaven and leave them, telling them it'll be better because the Holy Spirit sent him. He knew what that was too. History tells us, I can't prove this to you, but most historians and theologians believe this, that John was persecuted. We know he was sent to Patmos, but they actually say that he was dipped in a vat of boiling oil that would have killed most people. But supernaturally, John was protected. They say he actually came out with a smile. So John understood what fearful circumstances were. And then we know they exiled him to the Isle of Patmos, which was no small thing. Guys, the Isle of Patmos was not like going on a pleasure cruise. It was a volcanic island that they sent some of their worst prisoners to, and they had to do hard labor all the time. But they did get some time to rest, and on the Lord's Day, on Patmos, there was John. He was in the Spirit, and that's where he received the revelation of Jesus Christ that we have in Scripture. John understood what fear was, but John says in the book of 1 John, looking at chapter 4 and verse 18, he's been talking about love. John's known as the apostle of love. But in verse 18 he says this, There is no fear. Everybody say, no fear. There is no fear in love. But perfect, complete, whole, mature love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. If you've ever had real fear, I'm talking about real fear, you know what torment is. And I battled with those panic attacks. And one other time in my life when I dealt with real fear that I believe was a demonic attack against me, I didn't even want to come out of a room. I was so afraid. When you battle with real fear, you know it's torment. It's oppression that keeps you from doing what God's called you to do and being what God's called you to be. It says fear involves torment. But notice this last part of the verse. He who fears, he who is constantly afraid, has not been made perfect. That word perfect means whole, mature, or complete. In what? Love. What kind of love is he talking about? You see, when you understand just how much God loves you, and then you understand just how big God who loves you is, and you understand that this awesome God who is so big and so powerful, who loves you so much, is everywhere all the time and knows everything for all time about everything and never changes. And that means he's not going to, well, the God of Israel never slumbers or sleeps, so this is a bad analogy. But for lack of a better term, he's not going to wake up on the wrong side of the bed tomorrow. He's not going to look at you tomorrow and say, oh, I've changed my mind about this one. I, I really, I, I'm, I don't care anything about them at all. God's feelings in his heart about you are not going to change. He's not a man that he should lie. He is God. He changes not. Those are scriptures I'm quoting to you. The Bible says when you understand how big, awesome, that's where the fear of God, not the fear of the world or fear of man or the fear of the enemy, but when the, you fear God alone and only 
have to fear anyone else because when you recognize how awesome and glorious and majestic and holy and powerful and good God is, when you recognize that He never changes, and then you understand and you have a revelation of just how much He loves you. Well, He couldn't really love me because He don't know this. No, no, no. See, there's your incomplete is your knowledge of God. He already knows. See, God already knew before He ever called you all of your tomorrows. And He certainly knows all of your pasts. He knows every sin, every failure. And He called you and He loves you. When you realize how big this God is, how great and glorious this God is, when you stand in the fear of God and you recognize the love of God, you're made whole. When that happens, you don't have to be afraid of anything. Does that mean I'm never going to have a problem? No. Jesus said, as long as you're in this world, you're going to have tribulation. It's going to happen. But it means you can be of good cheer. Like he told us to. Why? Because we understand he has overcome this world. This world. COVID-19 2020 world. Jesus has overcome. Divided nation of America world 2020. Jesus has overcome. The mess that we see going on with people not being able to disagree agreeably and arguing and fighting with one another. The division, the falseness, the deception. Jesus has already overcome the world. You're going to have trouble in it, but you can be of good cheer, and you don't have to be afraid. Why? Because this Jesus who has overcome loves you more than you ever knew. And nothing can ever change that. So when you become mature and whole and complete in the love of God, fear doesn't matter. Wouldn't it be great if fear lost its hold on what would you be able to do that God's called you to do that the only reason you're not doing is because you're afraid? Wouldn't it be great if fear lost its hold? Well, it can't. When we fear God instead, and when we're made whole in Him. I want you to bow your heads with me this morning. Father, we come to you in the powerful and mighty name of Jesus. God, I commit to you every word that's been spoken today. God, if I failed in any way in communicating this word the way you wanted it to, I thank you, God, that you will hide that behind the cross. But God, every word that came out exactly the way you designed, every word that was carried on the wings of your spirit, Father God, I thank you it would take deep root in the spirit of every person here that desires to grow in you. Father God, I pray that by the power of your Spirit, you would begin to shake us loose from the bondage of fear and anxiety. Lord, that we would become whole and complete in understanding how great and glorious and powerful and holy you are. Knowing that you never change and nothing ever changes you. and Knowing that your love is steadfast and continual and your mercies are new every morning and your faithfulness is great, and that's why we're not too scared. So God, I thank you that that knowledge would cause us to be bold, strong, not foolish, not presumptuous, but bold and strong. Walking in your word, walking in your ways, and walking in your power, and shining forth your light to a world that desperately needs to see light now. Lord, I pray for that and 